Our text today is the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul has been chastising and rebuking the Corinthian church. This is an immature church. This is a church that is struggling with all kinds of worldly thinking. Um, they are also a church that is being infiltrated by uh, opponents to Paul who are questioning his apostolic authority. That's what we're dealing with here. Second Corinthians is also dealing with this, but you're going to hear Paul come to this now. That is the fact that the church is beginning to turn on him, that they're doubting his apostolic authority. They don't think he's God's man. And they don't think he's God's man because he doesn't have the charisma. He doesn't have the, the signs, the wisdom, the eloquence that many of these other teachers have. And even some who are coming in undercutting Paul's very teaching itself. And so Paul is getting these words as he's traveling, planting churches, ending up in prison. And he writes back very disconcerted about what he's hearing from the Corinthians and challenging them, calling them back to obedience. The verse that we've been using to partner with the book of 1 Corinthians has been Romans 12, uh, uh, 1 and 2. You know, I, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your minds. And Paul is writing back to the Corinthians now, a church that is being conformed to the pattern of this world. It's a church that is thinking like Corinthians. You're thinking like Greco-Roman citizens, not thinking like those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. Well, let me read the text for you this morning, short, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, as he will do several times in this letter, but also in 2 Corinthians. Paul is defending himself, if you will, or he's at least responding to these attacks, the subterfuge, the undermining of his authority. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. <coughs> in fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. C.S. Lewis, in his work, The, the Screwtape Letters, and I asked Christina to try to find it for me as we were driving down and... and uh, because I, I wanted to get the exact quote, but but you'll have to. So we couldn't. I couldn't find it. And literally, while she was fishing around for it, I got the call from Phyllis, and then that was the end of that. I forgot all about it. Um, but in in one of the in one of the screw tape letters, um, Lewis picks up on the temptation to be what he calls church critics, church critics. And he says, he, screw tape says, what we want are people who are are above everything else, critics. And you know, you've probably been there. I, I know I have been there. You sit in church and you, you're critical of the liturgy. You're critical of the preaching. You're critical of the building. You're critical of whatever, whatever the, you know, the hymns. 
you know, we might do this. Maybe you're, maybe you're doing it now. I don't know. And if you are, you should be terribly convicted. But, uh, but certainly when we travel, you know, and we go, we sit in another church, we do this. Or when, maybe when you moved into an area, when you moved into this area, some other area, and you're attending a church and you're trying to find a church and, and so forth. It's, it's an easy thing to do, particularly in a day like ours when so many options are available. I mean, back in the day, you couldn't travel very far. You went to your local parish church. No point being a critic. That was your church, period. But now we can choose. We can pick, you know. And, and, Lewis, and Lewis in this letter says, yeah, 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 screw tape. What we, screw tape says to Wormwood, what we want to instill in people is that their primary role when they come to church is to be critics, to always be questioning. Now, not, not, not like the Bereans do it, where like they're testing everything by the word of God. There's a, there's a healthiness to that. But we just want them to be in judgment always of the church or the pastor or the building or the hymns or the whatever. Whereas God, he says, wants disciples. He wants students. He wants those who receive from him. And there's a posture about how we come to worship. There's a posture about how we sit before the word of God. There's a posture about our Christian lives. Are we those whose, forget forget church for a second. What's our posture in our Christian life? Is it one of criticism? Do, are we, are we and, and I, again, I speak on this because I feel guilty of it. Okay, that's why I can preach like this. We look at the news Right? We're just, we're, everything wires us to be critics. We look and we're making all these judgments and discernments and, and criticisms about things, about the times, about people who are in authority. As if, again, from our distant place, we know what it's like to be in their shoes and all the things that are working into decisions that are made. But we sit like armchair quarterbacks and we're critical. We're bent that way. I'm always critical. And, and by the way, critical doesn't mean always bad. It doesn't mean always negative critic criticism. It can be positive criticism, but we're judging, judging, discerning. And there's a danger to that within the Christian life. Because critics are always looking and speaking. They're passing judgment. But we have to be careful because within the Christian life, I don't think God primarily wants us to be critics. Now, Lewis is talking about this in Screwtape Letters about how people are in church. Make them church critics, hopping from one church to the next to the next. This one doesn't suit my taste. This one doesn't do that right. This one doesn't do that right. This pastor doesn't have enough charisma. Okay, fine. But we can blow that out to our Christian lives. Is the posture of our Christian life one of criticism or is it one of discipleship? Are we primarily receiving or are we primarily giving criticism and judgment? The Corinthians are standing in judgment against Paul and they are not in a place where they are hearing and receiving the judgment of Paul. The words that Paul is offering them from the Lord where he is chastising them and challenging them and helping to correct them because they are standing in judgment. I just offer that to you. Is your life posture one of discipleship? A student who says, you know, as Socrates says, no, no great student can be a student unless he admits his ignorance. Know thyself. 
Know your weakness so that you can receive. But the critic doesn't think that way. The critic always thinks he sees it right and therefore can pass judgment. What's our posture? It's not that there's never a time for criticism. But what's our dominant posture? Paul is dealing with a church whose dominant posture, in this case, is that of the critic. And he wants to make them students. He wants to make them disciples, that they may be shaped by the word of God. Well, I want to think about this text in three little categories. First, verses 1 and 2, in which Paul identifies himself. And then secondly, I want us to think about Paul's opinion on judgment, on the judgment of the Corinthians, on the judgment of critics. And in so doing, we can think about being judged by others. How do we handle that? And then finally, in verse 5, Paul challenges us about our judgments, about our criticisms. Not that they're never to be given, but we ought to be very careful. First, verses 1 and 2, Paul identifies himself. This is Paul now responding to the criticism that's being given to him about he doesn't have enough of this or he's not a great enough speaker or whatever, all the other things that were mentioned in chapters 1 through 3. He, you know, he, he doesn't have the eloquence and wisdom of, of a, a good Greek, if you will. But Paul says, but that's not what I'm about. Let a man so consider us. Here's how you should think of me, Paul says, as a servant. I'm a servant of Christ. Notice he doesn't say a servant of yours, though in some sense he is. He gives himself to the church. But what Paul sees himself first as is a servant of Christ. Now, this is going to help as we trickle down through the text because how, how do you handle judgments when people think things about you? How do you see yourself? How do you identify? This is a big word in our culture today. How do you identify? Who are you? I go back to, and uh, well, I think I've shared, I know I've shared this story with you before when Joseph, the, the Kenyan man, he's, he's not even, he, he's a young man, but... Uh, who lived with us, Joseph, many of you, have, some of you have met him, came over to Chapel Field from the orphanage we were working with in Nairobi, Stars for Jesus. Three of them came over. Joseph, who lives with us and still works at Chapel Field, Fanwell, who's still in the local area, and Gilbert, who I don't know where Gilbert ended up. But I remember when they introduced themselves the first time in chapel, and Gilbert introduced. I just remember Gilbert's introduction. I was standing in the back just listening. I had met them all, and I was just in the chapel with the students. And, and I'm standing in the back, and Gilbert introduces himself. And he says, my name is Gilbert. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Like that was his introduction to him. My name is Gilbert. I am a servant of, of Jesus Christ. I remember just being taken by that. Like, who does that? Who introduces themselves that way? But what a beautiful introduction. Gilbert chose to say, if you want to know what Gilbert means, you don't know Gilbert. But if you want to know what Gilbert means, here's what it means. He is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, when Paul introduces himself in his letters and when he sends his greetings, he often does this. A bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he does here. If you're going to criticize me, Corinthians, well, you need to know what I am. Is this a good pen or a bad pen? Well, in order to know, you need to know what a pen is. Then you can make a discernment as to whether or not this is a good one. But if you don't know what a pen is, you'll have a hard time telling me whether this is a good one. 
So you want to be critical? Then you need to know what I am. And here's what I am. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word he uses for servant here gets picked up in the next, in the next word. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards. Here's what it means. to. Here's the kind of servant I am. I'm a servant who has been entrusted with something. That's what a steward is. To be a steward of something is somebody gives me something that is not mine. It's not given to me for me. It's given to me on someone else's behalf. We heard this in the parable of the talents today as Mark read it in our, for our New Testament reading. The talents were given to the servants not for their sakes, though they might be blessed by them indeed, but the talents were given for the sake of the one giving it. Here's the talents, and then what do they do? The one man takes the talent, buries it in the ground, but the other two invest their talents and get a return on them. So when the master comes back, the servants return with their talent, with the talents given to them, but with the interest gained on them and return them back to the master. Paul says, this is what I am. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. All I am is a steward of that which was given to me. Again, just a challenge to you when we think of identification. Who are we? Do we think ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ? And as such, not just doing good works. Again, thinking of Steve's message two weeks ago. Not just of doing good works, as that's what I'm called to do, but do you think of yourself as a steward who has been given things? You've been given a life. You've been given time. You've been given resources. You've been given relationships. You've been given freedoms in this country, responsibilities and these kinds of things. What do, what do you do with them? I often tell my students at Chapel Field, you know, it's like you're, the image I use is you're going to have to turn in the receipts. You know, it's like the credit card is not yours. And I don't just mean credit card in terms of the money God gives us, but our lives. Like when I send one of my employees on a trip or out to do something and I give them the school card, okay, go use the card for whatever you've been assigned to do. Go buy this or go ahead and get yourself lunch or you got to go on a trip, fine, get a hotel, rent a car. But you bring back the receipts, and you turn the receipts up because the credit card is not yours. You've been entrusted with this credit card and you use it for company business and then you bring back the receipts. And I tell the students, you know, this is true in life. This is not your own. Paul says your, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. So we're going to have to turn in the receipts. Do we think of ourselves, is this a metaphor, is this an image that we identify with our own lives, that we are stewards? Paul says, when you think of me, you've got to know, am I, am I a good one or a bad one? We need to know what I am and what I am as a steward. My job is to take what the Lord has entrusted to me and do what with it? Well, he says, here's how you measure a steward, faithfulness. Let a man consider us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. It's not necessarily about, so here we're praying, Jake, he, he, he went to Germany. And what's our prayer? The prayer should be when we send Steve back there or Jake on his trip or for any of us, Yes, we want to We want to bear much fruit, no doubt. But the first responsibility we have is just being faithful. 
Because as we've heard in other stories, I don't make anything grow. The farmer doesn't make anything grow. God makes it right. You know that parable where the farmer goes out and he puts the seed in the ground and he and then he goes to sleep and it's nighttime and when he's asleep it grows and he knows not how. Yeah. So what does God require? He has given us seed. He's entrusted us with it, and we are to be faithful with it. And whether or not fruit is born in Germany is totally in the Lord's hands. Because I don't know what the Lord's doing. The Lord may be using the work in Nuremberg to bring judgment upon the land. I don't know. And so the fruit he's going to bring out of it is he's going to bring condemnation and hardness of heart. That may be it. And if I'm not careful, I can look then at my ministry and say, Lord, it has not been successful. Because it hasn't grown or something like that. When I don't know what the Lord's doing. At the same time, it may be to bring a great revival. Who knows what the Lord will do through the the preaching work in Neuenberg International or at Affirmation or within your personal life. What are you called to do then? You are called to be faithful. For we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, entrusted by him with certain things. Now, Paul was entrusted with the mysteries of God, he says. Paul was an apostle. Paul had a unique calling within the kingdom. You are not apostles. I am not an apostle. But I've been entrusted with responsibility, just as you have. And it's not like, well, because I'm the preacher, this is a sermon about me because I can identify with Paul as a preacher. Fine, the Lord has entrusted me with certain things, but he's entrusted you with certain things. And we are to see ourselves as that. If we're going to discern and ask, are we doing a good job or bad job? Just like I'm going to say this is a, this pen is doing a good job or bad job. I need to know what it's meant to do. So first, our self-identification. Paul's was, I am a servant, a steward of what God has given to me. And so are you. And so am I. We have the talents given to us from God and we will turn in the receipts on that day. Now, As such, Paul is receiving criticism. And here we're going to learn from Paul how we ought to think when we receive criticism. But with me, it is a very small thing, he says in verse 3, that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And and I think what Paul means here is, he's got a voice in his own head that is maybe bringing condemnation to him. Right? He hears it. He has to fight the voices in his own head. You know, are you doing a good job? Are you not doing it? Did you handle that right? Did you not handle that right? Meanwhile, he's got the Corinthians saying, we don't think you're God's man. And Paul has to wrestle with this. And he's saying, for me, it's a very little thing. For I know, verse 4, of nothing against myself. So he says, I, I don't judge myself because even, even though I tell myself I'm doing fine, I, I don't, just like the psalmist in Psalm 7 on a human standard, I think I am being faithful, but I don't even let that justify myself. I, I don't I don't bank on that. I don't let my own judgment even determine my understanding of myself. For he who judges me is the Lord. So how do we handle criticism from the outside? On the one hand, I, I've told you this before. On the one hand, we want to take Jonathan Edwards' words when he says, always receive criticism any opportunity for self-examination take it even false accusation take it the bad examples of others take it am i like that would i have done that 
take it. Seize every opportunity, he says, to, to take self-examination. I think uh, we, we were listening. We, when we were in Cape Cod, we went to see a little rendition of Hamlet. And uh, it was neat there on the beach. It was nice. And in Hamlet, Polonius tells his son Laertes, as Laertes is leaving to go off to school and Polonius is giving his son advice, Polonius says to him, hey, always be listening, in, in my words, lacking the Shakespearean eloquence, right? Be a listener and not a speaker. Receive criticism. Be slow to give it. Be a listener. But if it's there, receive it. So on the one hand, we want to be receivers of criticism because we always want to be improving. We always want to be growing. We want to be walking in holiness. And so where there's criticism, I'll take it as from the Lord. And I'll take it as an opportunity to ask, how am I doing? So on the one hand, we want to do that. But at the same time, we have to be careful that we don't let the words of others uh, determine who we are so that we begin to sink down in condemnation or in in some some poor sense of who we are. We need to understand it frankly does not matter what you think of me. That sounds so modern to say that because people say this as a justification to never have to ask a difficult question about themselves. So on the one hand, it feels ridiculous to say that. But on an absolute sense, it's true. Now, on a human level, I do care what you think of me. But in the big picture, it doesn't really matter what you think of me. In fact, it doesn't really matter what I think of me. Our self-understandings are all wacky. Some of us think way too highly of ourselves. Some of us think way too low of ourselves. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. One thing matters. What does the Lord think of you? What is the Lord? That's all that matters. And Paul recognized that it's a very little thing to me what you think about me. He's telling the Corinthians. I will not stand before you one day. You will not stand in judgment of me one day, Corinthians. But I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, when the members of the the guys who received the talents come up, they don't start judging each other. The Lord judges each one of them. The sheep and the goats are all standing there in that parable. And the Lord separates them out and judges them himself. And for Paul, what I love about this little brief text is that for Paul, what orients him, what centers him is the ultimate things. Right? What centers him is the big deal. The fact that we're going to stand before God one day. It makes us uncomfortable sometimes to think about that final judgment, but it is something worth keeping in our minds that one day we will stand before the Lord God Almighty. And Paul understands that, and he knows what his standing is on that day because of what Jesus has done. And therefore, in this moment, he's at peace. Even though he's, you know, on one hand, you could understand him being completely unsettled. His church, his beloved church in in Corinth is turning against him. And even questioning his apostleship. And think about for a guy who's in jail. Those voices start to work on you. If you're really God's man, what are you doing here? Paul's in prison multiple times. Paul's being beaten and whipped. If you're God's man, what are you doing here? But Paul has ultimate things in his view. 
And Paul knows who he is in light of that. And therefore, while Paul is not beyond receiving criticism, that's not the point of this. Paul is rebuking them for the judgment they are leveling and that they are casting him away. And Paul says, I'm not going to be identified by that judgment. I, it's a very little thing what you think of, my, of me. I'm a steward of what the Lord Jesus has given me and what he thinks of me is what matters. And I am confident that in him I will be found faithful. So for you and I, this is important. In our receiving of criticism, let us always be open to the receiving of the opportunity for self-examination. But at the same time, let us know who we are in Christ and in that find our comfort and our confidence. But then finally, in verse 5, Paul turns it around and gives us some words about how we judge now. So in, in verses 3 and 4, we're sitting in Paul's shoes and we're thinking about what it's like to be judged. And we can hear Paul remind us that our confidence, in as much as we can identify with Paul, is in Christ. But in verse 5, we hear Paul now giving a, a word of exhortation to the Corinthians. And here it would be wise for us to sit in the shoes of the Corinthians and receive the words of Paul. Therefore, he says, this is his conclusion of this little section, judge nothing before the time. Be careful how you judge, Corinthians. See, you're looking, Corinthians, you're looking at me and you're saying your ministry doesn't seem very powerful. Your, your ministry doesn't seem very fruitful. Your ministry, whatever. He's like, be careful. Be careful of judging things from your limited, finite, even early observations. You, you know, you if you, if you knew nothing about farming, you know nothing about farming. You just know that's when you put a seed in the ground, it's supposed to grow. But you know nothing about the, the germination period for a kernel of corn. Okay? And a farmer put it in the ground and we all went to bed and the next day you woke up and there was nothing popping out of the ground. You might be inclined to say the farmer failed. Look, you put it in the ground, but there's no corn. Yeah, but you know nothing about corn. You don't know the germination period for corn. And then it actually is going to take a couple weeks before you even begin to see the first little shoot of that thing out of the ground. You don't know. Well, there's a lot we don't know. And Paul is telling us, be careful. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Be cautious in your judgments. Now here, for Paul, he's even talking about the time. The eschatological time. The Matthew 25 time, the wheat and tares time. Jesus tells this parable using farming as his metaphor here, where he says, hey, here's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a man who goes out and he sows, and he sows good seed. The Lord sows good seed. Ah, but the devil comes, and he sows tares in among the good seed. Now, in this case, I think we'd have to say the good seed, the field, if you will, then is the church. It's not just the world. The church, the good seed, supposedly. But then into the good seed is mixed the bad seed, and all of a sudden, a guy comes along and he says to the farm owner, hey, I thought you, I thought you said you, had, you sowed good seed there. Oh, I did. Well, what about all the tares? Ah, he says, the enemy came in the nighttime and spread the bad seed. Okay, would you like me to go rip up all the bad? Would you like me to judge? Would you like me to bring judgment on the field? 
and rip out all the bad tears. And the master wisely, wisely says, if we could take Paul's words and put them in there, beware, judge nothing before the time. The wheat and the tares may look very similar. And you may inadvertently, in ripping out tares, be pulling out wheat. So you want to be very careful here. Now again, Paul is not criticizing criticism in general because he's going to go on later in this book to say, hey, if you see an immoral brother, flee from that brother. So he's going to tell us to use judgment and discernment. Jesus is going to do something similar in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, judge not lest you be judged for the manner with which you judge, you will be judged. And you say, whoa, okay, I better not level any judgments. And then right after that, on the heels of that, he goes on to say, now, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, you know, take the plank out of your own eye so that you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't throw your pearls before swine. He said, wait a second, what should we, don't I have to judge, is that a swine? Imagine calling somebody a swine. But he says, don't throw your pearls before swine. You have to have the wisdom and judgment to determine that's a swine. You have to, you look at the, the, the speck in your brother's eye, you have to discern that there's a speck in there and you have to help it and you have to discern in your own eye, take the log out. So the Bible never tells us not to use discernment or wisdom in making judgments. But at the same time, the Bible warns us of judging before the time, of making final and absolute judgments. Whether it's in the church trying to quote-unquote purify the church, and what we end up doing is start ripping tears out because we've got to get a purified church, and in so doing, you wound the conscience of brothers. You're casting sisters out of the church. You're turning people away from the kingdom who the Lord is telling, summoning into the kingdom. And yet at the same time, the elders of a church have to execute discipline. They have to use wisdom. So Paul challenges us here, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. So if we're thinking about our own Christian imagination here today, one, do you think of yourself as stewards, servants? Do you think of yourself as entrusted with things from God by which we are called to be faithful? Do you think of yourself as a critic or a student primarily? And then finally, do you contemplate the coming judgment of God? And when you do, does it make your heart sing or does it cause you to be paralyzed and shiver with fear? Again, read the Psalms. The Psalms say, oh, what a great day it's going to be when you judge the earth. The trees are going to sing. The mountains are going to clap their hands. What a wonderful day it'll be. Do you think that? We tend to think of Judgment Day as an awful day, a miserable day, and I get it because we're sinners. We know what we deserve. But Paul here says it'll be a great day. It'll be a day in which the hidden things are revealed. Where, yeah, sure, I, I, we don't know. We don't know. Let's just take Jake's ministry in Germany. A little conversation he had with some German kid. You have no idea 
And I'm guessing Jake will never know. You will never know. The little conversation you had with somebody, the prayer you offered for somebody, and you don't know, you have no idea the fruit of that faithfulness. But on that day, the Lord will reveal the things that are hidden in darkness. It's going to be a joyful thing to see the quote-unquote fruitfulness that your faithfulness in Christ begot. And on that day, it will be revealed. And I love the fact that Paul ends this passage, which is a passage in which, on the one hand, he, he actually sends belittling words to the Corinthians. It's a very little thing what you think of me. And while it's true, it still stings. But then he says, notice what he says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. So positively and negatively, it's going to be revealed. Nothing's going to be hidden. Then each one's praise will come from God. I think of Paul's words in Romans 14 when he says, do not judge another man's servant. Each man will stand before God in his own way, right? Whether you eat the food or don't eat the food, recognize the Sabbath or don't recognize the Sabbath, let each man be confident in his own conscience and he will either stand or fall before God on that day. So you let people go before God and they will either stand or fall on their own before God. And then he has this little line in Romans 14. He says, and he, that is God, will make them stand. You're either going to stand or fall before God on that day of judgment. And then Paul throws in, and God will make you stand. In the chapter right before this, in chapter 3, when he talks about on that day, all of our work, all of our stewardship is going to be put into the fire. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be consumed. And if it's precious metals, it will be refined. And he says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. And then in our text here, troubling words, the day of judgment is coming when everything dark is going to be made light. All the secret counsels of your heart, everything you're thinking and that only you're thinking and that you hope no one ever gets to hear will be heard. Then, he says, each one's praise will be from God. He doesn't even feel compelled here. Though the idea of judgment is hidden, it's there. It's, it's there. We know it. But Paul doesn't even bring it up here. Paul goes each one's praise. And, and it brings back the words of Jesus when he says, hey, when you do your deeds of mercy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do it in such a way that it's done in secret. When you pray, don't be wordy and down on your knees out in public going on and on in your prayers so everybody can hear what a great prayer life you have. When, when you do your fasting, don't walk around holding your belly going, oh, no, 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 I can't eat that. I'm fasting. I'm fasting. This is so hard, but I'm, I'll get through it. You know, don't do that. Do your deeds of mercy in secret. For God who sees the hidden things will reward you openly on that day. When you fast, do it in secret for God who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, pray in your closet and the God who sees and hears it in the secret places will reward you openly. And that's what Paul's saying. The day will come when he will reward and Paul is confident in the reward because of his confidence in Christ. So brothers and sisters, I charge you today, be careful not to be overwhelmingly critics. Be careful that that doesn't become your posture. 
And be careful that when you receive criticism, you don't let it destroy you because you know who you are in Christ. You are stewards. So how do you judge whether you're a good steward? Faithfulness, not fruitfulness. The Lord will take care of that. But faithfulness. And may we apply these things to our lives today, throughout this week, and throughout the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that our future is secured, not because of the cleanness of our hands, but because of the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you would make us students, make us those who are ready to hear and slow to speak, ready to receive anything that will help us examine ourselves, that we might flee from our sin, and yet at the same time, give us the strength to know who we are in Christ, that in receiving opportunities for self-examination, we might not consistently be broken because of the judgment of others. And at the same time, guard us from judging things before the time. Guard us from judging ministries and even our own lives as not being fruitful because we haven't seen what you are doing in and through, even our feeble efforts. And Father, give us hearts that rejoice when we contemplate that great day in which the Lord Jesus Christ comes to reclaim his own and to set all things right. For we know the trees will clap their hands. They will shout for joy, and we will shout for joy with them. Make us faithful until that point, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.